Florida. He picks the puck up on the right wing side, top of the circle, the backhand move. What a save! Oh, it trickled underneath wall. And the Toronto native has won the game for the Florida Panthers. He may have followed through. And there is no double tapping in hockey. I have not seen that, especially that fast. Though I, you know what I do think it's important? They have rules. Oh, <laughs> Fan Morning Show Sports at 590. The Fan, Ben Spray going without rules, there's anarchy. That funny, funny Paul Maurice. Mm-hmm. Good one. <laughs> yes. It is good. Hey, he enjoys a live microphone. What does he? And I got to be honest. Like, I know I'm repping him for it, but I enjoy him enjoying it because it gives me something to talk about. Yes, there's a there's an enjoyment, positive feedback loop there mm-hmm. happening. It is, for, for sure. And, yeah, there's no debate about whether or not that shootout goal should have counted. No. Uh, it was funny. We were talking in the press box. Again, we run our record now to 2-1. Yeah, we we're, we're, we're above, above 500. 500. Regulation uh, wins, though. Tough to come by. I can't remember the first. Yeah, first time didn't didn't it go? No, it was first the, one. First one was overtime win. They don't win in regulation. Well, I'm just Brent, saying like, we're not so... the difference maker in that regard either. <laughs> no, Leafs still holding strong at, at five regulation wins. But yeah, in the press box we were like, yeah, obviously that can't count. Um, yeah, and obviously there's a, them? there's a reason why that can't count because if it could count, you just. Here's what you do. You just have Ryan Reeves take all the shootout goals and he would just try and jam it well, into you do. a goalie's pads and underneath it and into the net. Yeah, I'm trying to remember who did it, but you w- I feel like you would see the slap shot on the breakaway a lot more, yeah. uh, right hard at the pads. And, <laughs> and see you, you get you like do. three seconds yeah. to hit, uh, knock the rebound into the net. Anyways, that rightly was called back and uh, Noah Gregor, the, the hero of the day, scoring the goal in regulation, scoring the eventual winner in a shootout. Apparently, his first ever shootout attempt in the NHL, which is not surprising given no. his uh, limited sample at the National Hockey League level. And you know what? Um, despite it not coming in regulations, big two points for a Maple Leafs team that now finds itself with 25 points still in that, well, now in the top wildcard position tied with the uh, Lightning with 25 points, Lightning have played three more games, and they are also tied on points with the Detroit Red Wings, who are third in the Atlantic Division. But, yeah, they have double the amount of regulation wins. The Toronto Maple Leafs, they have 10, despite having the same overall record at 11, 6, and 3. Uh, let's talk to our insider today, who is brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit DonValleyNorthLexus.com. Today's insider... Nick Kiprios of Real Kipper and Born. How's it going, Kipper? Good morning, guys. How are you? All was right. kind of fun watching everybody clamor back into their seats, and it's like, no, 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 no. They got a mulligan. Yeah, it was hilarious to, to hear some of the anecdotes, too, like how far um, the, some of the, the players were uh, either into the dressing room, and apparently Joseph Walt had his gloves off. We saw, Kipper, like we were there again at the game, we saw the door open as some of the Panthers players, like only half of the team had returned to the bench by the time uh, <laughs> Noah Gregor was taking that shootout attempt. That was about as bizarre a scene as, as any part of it. Like you, anybody that's watching the highlight this morning, watch Noah Gregor's shootout attempt. The door at the half wall is still open as the Panthers players are coming back. Like, can you remember anything of that no. ilk where you thought the game was over and it wasn't? No, no, not at all. And, you know... That's where 
the replay, right? There's just no way that uh, the live eye could ever see a double touch like that. And there's two sides to everything. Uh, sometimes uh, you can sit there and, and argue that we've overdone it a little bit. But if we want to get to the nitty gritty or the technical part of, of, of what we saw last night, the right call was made. Uh, where do you draw the line between uh, a double touch? Uh, it could look as simple as last night's, or it could be really obvious. But uh, at the end of the day, they got it right. Uh, although, albeit uh, a little unorthodox from from standard shootout wins. Yeah, for sure. And we've seen this before, right? There's been some conversation about, oh, did a player stop forward momentum when kind of going sideways around the crease area? Like we've seen these debates before, but not one that appeared to be in followed up by that. And even the official, if you watch him, he's kind of like, I don't know, that looked weird, but the puck's in. So it's a goal. Uh, Just an odd, odd scene. You know, I don't want to, I don't want to lead the witness too much here, Kipper. I just like looking at that game last night, I feel like there's a lot of different ways we can go with it. What was your kind of prevailing takeaway or the big thing that kind of jumped out to you from, from last night? Cause I think there's, there's kind of four or five different things you can, you can kind of look at as different leads almost. <laughs> uh, Gunner, there's only one, let's be honest. <laughs> okay. And I'm going to tell you what, what it is. Do you envision the Leafs beating Florida in a best of seven again? It's tough. There you go. Tough to see really is. And this is despite finding a way to get two points and a happy ending. And are there, can you, what else can you pull out of the game? Uh, Joseph Wall, mm-hmm. very solid. That's how you win that uh, series. You get right? Joseph Wall playing like Sergei Bobrovsky did. Uh, okay, that's if that's your game plan. <laughs> that's it. Uh, or, or you hope that the NHL goes to shootouts. Good, good, good luck with that one, right? And uh, at, at, what you basically got out of last night is that, uh, you know, whether uh, you believe that Florida could beat Boston or Boston can beat Florida is another conversation. But uh, those two teams, once again, are are going to set the tone in the Eastern Conference and the likes of the Leafs are going to, and Tampa probably, and uh, whoever else is challenging will have to chase. And that's, that's basically what you saw last night, that uh, the Leafs have, They've got some work to do. Yeah, a lot of work to do. I mean, and, and we know, we knew that the blue line would be a, a place that needed work done. Uh, it was the place that they could ill afford to suffer any injuries. They suffered more than a few. And the John Klingberg one seems like that was actually a positive uh, development that they can free up the four million bucks. But yeah, despite the fact that Mark Giordano is 40 years old, you need his minutes. And boy, it feels like, Timothy Lilligren was a lot more important than you maybe realized. Um, but outside of that, even like the opening 20 minutes, and I know like, they picked up the 20 or they picked up the two points um, and they looked better in the second and third. To me, that's the like you're coming off back to back losses. You're playing a team that just played the night before in a very emotional, physical affair in Ottawa against the Senators. How do you explain the opening 20 minutes of that hockey game yesterday? Uh, yeah, that, that that was really disappointing, uh, Ben. There's there's no question that you, you're 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 right on right on it in terms of where was the uh, the emotional attachment to to that game last night, and I don't have an answer for you in terms of 
being a team waiting for another team that had a, a physical battle 24 hours later in Ottawa. And I think it showed last night, even for Florida, uh, they didn't bring their complete A game, A game. And Kachuk probably took his foot off the gas pedal a, a touch, but they were still battling enough where you could have seen them win the hockey game last night. And they were, they were emotionally uh, invested, I think, a lot more coming off a back-to-back game than the Leafs were waiting for them. So, again, I, I don't know where you want to start. Uh, you want to start at, uh, you know, your leaders, your core four guys. Uh, you know, Marner had a tough time last night uh, prior to even getting a puck in the face. Uh, so did uh, Matthews. They didn't seem like they were 100% engaged. Uh, that's a question that needs to be asked. When do they get, when do they get going? When do they start carrying the hockey club like, like leaders um, and and get the points to to back it up? But right now, there's there's a lot of holes in this lineup. Yeah, I mean, there's a man. There's a million things to to pick at from from that specifically. And I mean, yeah, let's let's talk about Matthews. I mean, you know, there's a moment in the I think it was in maybe in the second. I think it was in the third period. He runs into Mikola by the bench and. I use that terminology purposely. It didn't look like he tried to hit him. It looked like he ran into him and it's, hey, you're Austin Matthews. You're 6'2". You're 220, 230, whatever it is. And it just would be nice to see a little more of that. I mean, you know, there's there's the moment last night where Domi goes at Bennett and, you know, that didn't go particularly well for him, but that doesn't really matter, right, Kipper? Like, it's just the fact that he did it. He had something to say. But then later on in the game, you know, I see Joe Wall gets his helmet taken off and did a Leaf player maybe help with that? Yeah, but guess what? If it was on the other side of things, I don't think a Panther would be standing around going, oh, hold on, that was one of us who pushed him in. Let me look we at the better, replay. We better go look at the iPad before we get too <laughs> mad about anybody. Like, it does just seem like we keep going back to having these conversations. And, it, man, it goes back to, like, the laughing at Sherrod in the scrum in the Montreal bubble. Like, it just seems like every single year we're doing this over and over and over again, Kipper. You're, you're absolutely right. And coming off of Tuesday uh, last night, uh, same questions. Uh, and I agree with you. I, I really, really enjoyed Matthews bearing Mikola into the boards, and you, you do wonder why a guy that big, that strong, can't find it uh, in his game to to have more of that. But it's, I, I is it? A, it's a personality trait. It's just not in him. It doesn't come naturally to him um, to do it every once in a while, and you know, usually. You know, there's a frustration from certain players that has to kind of set in before, you know, something of that uh, uh, nature arises. But it it doesn't seem to even affect Matthews Mm -hmm. uh, throughout his career. So I I don't know. I'd be pulling Austin Matthews. into the video room today and I'd show him that clip 10 times. <laughs> I'd show him it from different angles. And it's like, can you do that again? Mm-hmm. And, uh, like, it would it would completely set a different tone. And that stuff, when your leaders are doing it, not Max Domi, not, uh, you know, uh, Ryan Reeves, not, uh, you know, Gregor, when your leaders are doing it, it has it, it's tenfold on the ripple effect that it has in your lineup. Mm-hmm. It completely 
guilts you into doing the same thing or being willing to do the same thing when your best player uh, is doing it out there. And right now they don't have enough best players doing that. And uh, somehow, some way, uh, the difference between outskilling a team or finding different ways to win um, isn't there for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Mitch Marner is one of this team's best players. Uh, and he, as you mentioned, had a tough night, um, partly because he took a hockey puck off the face, which doesn't seem all that 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 fun. Uh, he was wearing the cage the rest of the way, but even before that and certainly after that was pretty much an, a non-factor. And this is a guy that, that the lineup changes, uh, I feel like, were catered to getting him going, putting him back with Tavares and... Nylander, the fixer, with with Matthews as well, breaking up the the best line that this team has had over the last couple of weeks um, with uh, Bertuzzi, Tavares, and Nylander. W- what's going on with Mitch Marner to, to your eyes? Where, where's his game at right now? Well, I just think uh, right now there's uh, there's a chemistry issue uh, with, with him and with him and Austin uh, to start the season. I mean, it should have been a no brainer that these guys are two of the best players in the world and uh you know the the points should be following consistently but for me it's uh the body language and i think kelly rudy showed it saturday night where he he showed uh you know a couple times where where austin where uh where mitch is reacting you know uh and i'm a big body language guy so the first thing i i i sense out of mitch marner is he's he's not having fun coming to the rink and uh, uh you know a lot of that joy uh, that we've seen uh, in the past isn't there right now. And there's a level of frustration for sure uh, that is the main culprit on on why that's happening. But uh, between him and, and and Austin, it's just it's not <laughs> happening. And Sheldon goes to that uh, old reliable, let's switch Austin, uh, let's switch Mitch up with uh, Willie Nylander. Last night, I didn't, I didn't get a good sense that uh, it, it's – it made much of a difference. Uh, you got to give it some time, I would imagine. But also Willie Nylander probably played his worst game of the season last night, as far as I'm concerned. And uh, they've been far and few, which is great. The turnovers or, you know, the, the too many men on the ice. Was that Willie coming off the bench mm-hmm. or not off the bench? Or was it a line change? The coast, uh, the body language on that one was uh, not good for Willie. But uh, like I said, those those type of games have been far and few for him this season. So uh, he just needs to get ready for Thursday night as, as the rest of them do. Yeah. And it's kind of a tough game when you're, when you do look to juggle the lines, get a little chemistry going or have something sparked. And then Marner just misses as much time as he does getting his repairs and getting the cage slapped on. Like, and I don't mean that to take anything away from those guys saying that they couldn't have figured it out still, but you know, you do, I I agree with you. You want to give it at least another night because it just, it was disjointed uh, from, from the jump there. You know, one thing I was thinking and you know, far from the most important thing in last night's game, but you, You've been good on this, so I want to I want to get your your opinion on it. Is Ryan Reeves felt like he had a great handle on on what he needed to do last night? Uh, just watching him from the press box, I don't know that any player in the league has a finer handle on exactly how much he's allowed to charge a guy and let up just at the very end without getting called for for a penalty. There, I, I really liked his game last night. And the other thing that jumped out to me is, you know, we talk a lot about 
and again, it's not you hammering it. It's, you know, it's, it's other people of, you can't play this guy. You can't play this guy. You know, I look up in the late in the second period of that game and there's two or three Panthers that had played less than Revo had at, at that point in the game. And you know, that's not to overstate the importance he had, but I, I really liked his game last night. And I think if you can kind of pick your spots with him, as opposed to having to use him every night, it's just, you, you get a way better version of him. Absolutely, Gunner. There, there's value there, and uh, you know, it, don't underestimate even off the ice and uh, just that feel that. Well, because he has to play to do any of that off the yeah, ice stuff, no, right? No, th- th- there's there's no question, but it, it's it's the total package with those type of players, and I I lived it, uh, you know, throughout my career and and what that means, and to be a bit of a glue guy uh in the room or or on the road and and bring your team together and uh, you know add some levity to the situation those guys are important guys but you certainly don't have to be there uh playing 10 minutes every game and there's some teams that uh, in the league that might be better suited for for style of play from ryan reeves and that's up to sheldon and and Brad Tree living to pick out, uh, pick and choose when they want him in the lineup or how much they want him on the ice. But, uh, you know, certainly people suggesting that they should get rid of him and uh, he's no good. Uh, I just don't see that just yet. And uh, let's face it, uh, most physical team uh, in the league yeah. was last night. If you can't play him against Florida, then, then who can you play him against? So uh, certainly... No issues with Ryan Reeves' game last night, as you uh, attested to. You you mentioned Keefe there. Um, kind of out of character for him. I'm sure you saw the clip making the rounds of him, quite frankly, tearing into Tyler Bertuzzi on the bench. And like, I don't, I don't want to make a mountain out of a molehill here, Coach Yellow guy. It's, it's not the first time it's happened in the sport. Certainly won't be the last. But doesn't that feel a little out of character? Not that he's not that he's mild mannered by the bench because he's usually screaming. It's just directed elsewhere as opposed to at his own bench at times. Were you were you surprised to see that? Did you like to see that last night? <laughs> I watched it and I said, what, what took you so long? (laughs) Oh my God. Wow. Uh, yeah, there was a level of frustration out of Sheldon a little bit when, uh, I, uh, not getting pucks in deep, uh, turning it over. I, I, I I would imagine that, uh, he's, he, he bit his lip long enough on, uh, (laughs) on a few occasions this year, but you know, telecast last night and it's been well documented that uh, maybe a, a big part of Florida Panthers turnover can go back to late in the season when Paul Maurice and the Florida Panthers were visiting Toronto and he had his huge meltdown oh, that's right. on the bench Nobody does it season. better than Paul Maurice though as far as in-game meltdowns. So, Rick Bonus you know, pretty good. Rick Bonus um, pretty good. Listen, I know the game's changed over the years and over the decades but you want to get a player's attention. Um, that's one way of doing it <laughs> as a head coach. And, you know, whatever the case was with Bertuzzi or anyone else's, uh, uh, that's that's a coach's prerogative to, to, to lay into certain players. And, um, you know, you don't want to do it all the time. Uh, it's like anything else. You got maybe a, a few times during the season you want to do that. Um, and you better have a good reason for it. And bottom line is the players have got to buy in that says, uh, whether you're Bertuzzi or anyone else on the bench, yeah, he's, 
he's got a good point here. The last thing you want to do is start going to that to the point where it tunes players out and it becomes more of an act than it does uh, something sincere. Uh, but I, I felt like it came from a good place from Sheldon last night. Yeah, I probably didn't have to dig deep too, too, too deep after that opening 20 minutes. It's probably like right there. Like he probably just had to easily tap into the anger there and, uh, and, and let it fly uh, when he did. Uh, Kipper, great stuff as always. Thanks, pal. Okay, guys, have a great day. You too. Nick Kerfrios, real Kipper and Born. He was our insider brought to you by Don Valley North Lexus, where you can expect excellence online and in the showroom. Visit Don Valley North Lexus. Dot com. So is that is that a head coach getting desperate? Is a head coach actively making a decision to change the way he's approaching things? Because I agree with you. This is a guy that's not mild-mannered, but mm-hmm. rarely is it directed at his team. It's like the most we've seen is him saying our best players need to be better and then the next day saying, no, they so, don't. I'm, sorry. I'm, I'm so sorry. sorry. I'm sorry. Apologies. Or more recently, yeah, Mitch Marner going through it right now. Hey, after the game, we need to stop with the negativity mm-hmm. around Mitch Marner. Again, like maybe before that tirade, he said, this is to everybody except for you, Mitch. Like you go stand over there. You don't have to be part of this. Yeah. I know you have an ouchie on your face. Um, and obviously he believes Tyler mm-hmm. Bertuzzi is a guy specifically that he can he can give it to and get a positive response from and can take it. So what is happening here? Or is that a guy that's just like, I've had enough. No, like, here, here, I, I'm, I'm gone if the things don't go the way they're supposed to this season anyway. So let's let's empty the chamber. Here's my read on it is there's there's some of that. Like, I'm not going to say that's a 0% part of the equation. But I think the biggest reason for that is that go listen to this guy throughout. And I know you're going to roll your eyes when I say this. But go listen to him throughout the Sweden trip. Go listen to him. In the week leading up to the back-to-back against Chicago and Pittsburgh, it was very much about trying to give the guys a touch of leeway of understanding how hard the trip was. And then they got through the back-to-back. They played terribly, and he saw what he saw for the first 20 minutes of that game last night. And he said, okay, I've had enough kid gloves here. Because, again, like Guy Boucher, who's on this staff, he went through the Sens team that got pasted Mm -hmm. coming out of that stretch, losing 12 of 13 games. And I do think there was some cognizant idea of we have to make sure we don't harp too hard on. And like, I'm not saying that was the right way to go about it, but I do think that's what happened. And I just think it was okay. We're back to life. Like, I feel like parents, I haven't, I haven't done the like change from summer to school yet, but it's, Mm -hmm. you know, in September, Okay, okay. We're back to real life now. You have to have a routine here, people. No more 1030 bedtimes. One day we'll get there in my house, (laughs) maybe. But the idea, that's what it looked like to me is, okay, you know what? Sweden vacation's over. You did your TTC commercial. We've all had fun. You scored a goal, Tyler Bertuzzi. We've been saying you're playing great. Nobody's doing anything great, and I'm going to get mad. That's what that looked like to me. To me... Looked like a guy who, and man, you you talk to people who know him a lot better than I do, mm-hmm. or even anybody that's just been covering his yep. Toronto Maple Leafs tenure. This is a guy that that closer to his default setting than what we've seen in Toronto. Oh yeah, Sheldon Keith. Go read, go read, young Sheldon Keith, like OHL player, younger coach Sheldon Keith stories. Fiery, fiery guy. I again didn't have to dig. Too deep to no. find what he found on the bench yesterday. To me, I just, I did see a lot of a guy that's just like, oh my God. Like, are you serious? Yeah. Are you serious? You can't be serious. No. No, like, after what we just did yep. 
over the weekend in I those two games. That's what it was. After, after everything that's been talked about surrounding this team, after this team in particular mm-hmm. who embarrassed us mm-hmm. on home ice in the postseason last year, mm-hmm. both on the scoreboard and physically, that's that's what you're going to put forth in the mm-hmm. opening 20 minutes of this hockey game? I got enough. Yeah. I'm out of here. Yeah, I, I can't control it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can't blame him. Honestly, I'm impressed he didn't go further. Yeah, I it was great. It was good to see. And I, quite frankly, like, I mean, I would love the play to dictate it not to be a necessity, but if it needs to be, I have no problem with it. I do have one thing to just throw at you here. Mm-hmm. Um, I was, I was going to call you a coward, but that's too strong. <laughs> oh, great. I can't wait to hear what this is. <laughs> well, why didn't you pick a feud with Nick Kiprios? You know, you're, oh, you're saying we need to do feuds in radio, you and you're the me. one you're the one who's that. like, we got to, no, I have no problem we can't, picking a we can't pick a Kipper. feud with Bunk. Yeah. Who cares no, about that? We need to pick a feud with Kipper. And yeah. I'm like, yeah, okay. What a, no, great idea, <sighs> Ben. We should feud with Kipper of all people. I want no parts of that. And you had your chance. He was, he was here. He was on the show. I don't know how you would have gone about it because, again, I want no parts of that feud because I'm terrified and I love their show. But you're right. You had no, your chance. You should, have, you should have reminded me okay. before we started so that. But now like, that now that you know what I'm talking about, was coward too strong of a term? No, no. It's, except that I'm about to say oh. Nick Kiprios, who I'm sure is still listening. Oh, he obviously has been si- still connected on the Opal line. Obviously, you're an idiot. Whoa. <laughs> disagree. But I disagree. Mean, I, in, uh, just in radio for, parlance, just, like, uh, just for the record, Kipper, this is for you. You're an idiot, Ben. <laughs> Wait, how could I have a feud with a guy? I'm just saying. If I, the, the co-host of my own show is taking I, his I side. Can't, I can't wholly get in on the feud until I'm sure it's going to be beneficial for us. I'm like couching. <laughs> I'm Switzerland here. Just like, hey, guys, I'll hold the money. You guys go do your God. thing. I mean, just like the Leafs can't become something that they're not, right? They can't, can't become either. this physical I thing. Can't. Like, I can't. Yeah. Oh, you can't either. You're it's, saying. I mean, that's what I got. Like, you're an idiot, Nick Kiprios. No, good one. Really yeah, good. Oh, no, really good by you. Got that's it. great. No, I think a lot of people bought what I was trying to sell They there. definitely think that you think that. Uh-huh. All right. I'll, I'll regroup. Try to figure it out. Uh, we'll talk to a, a proud uncle next. <laughs> Jason Greger, host of the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 in Edmonton. An uncle. Of Noah Gregor joins us next as the Fan Morning Show continues. Ben Annis, Brent Gunning, Sportsnet 590, The Fan. Fresh views on everything in the National Football League. It's The Fan Checkdown with Matt Marchese and Donovan Bennett. Subscribe and download the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Fan Morning Show, Sports at 5.9, the fan, Ben and I, Brian Gunning. I, I have no one, no one near even the possibility of being a professional athlete in my expanded family. Like, nobody who played hockey at a reasonably high level, golf, like, not, not even, like, sports is not a thing for anybody in my, not immediate family, like, but the, either side. Yeah. Sports not a thing. I can only imagine being even loosely related to somebody who played pro sports, especially if I was still in this capacity as somebody who worked in sports media. And and luckily for our next guest, he doesn't have to c- 
cover yeah. his nephew on a daily basis, but I can only imagine trying to be impartial talking about somebody <laughs> who's part of your family. Yeah, I mean, I told you, I've told you this story that my father just lied to me and was like, hey, you see Turk Broda? That guy's in our family tree. And I, for the longest time, was like, wow, that makes me so proud. Uh, turns out not true. Uh, so, yeah, I also have the same, uh, same uh, no, uh, no connection there as well for you. Uh, the Edmonton Oilers, I mean, boy, they've turned their season around as well, knocking off the uh, defending Stanley Cup champions. Took a shootout, but they did it, um, as Connor McDavid has about a trillion points in the last three games. Let's talk to Jason Greger, host of the Jason Greger Show on Sports 1440 in Edmonton, co-host of the DFO Rundown podcast, and proud uncle of yesterday's number one star. We shouldn't assume. Uh, I assume, yeah, but we shouldn't. We I, should let him I, speak. I assume when he pounds the retweet on a couple of <laughs> gifts of, of uh, his nephew, Noah Gregor, uh, scoring in both regulation and a shootout, that he's very proud. How's it going, Jay? Uh, Jason? Thanks for doing this. Oh, it's good. It's nice to see that, uh, you know, he uh, he took his his uncle's hand. So that's what I like. That's nice. He got his dad's speed. Okay. Yeah. I was going to say, I'd be taking credit for the feet if I had my brothers there. <laughs> oh, the hands are pretty good, too, I got to say. No, no, that's that's all his brother, honestly. Yeah, um, you know, it's just his brother. Actually, his brother just got uh, my brother, I should say, his dad um, just got inducted to the Nova Scotia Hall of Fame because uh, he was a member of the '93 uh, Acadia Axemen when they uh, they actually crushed Toronto twelve nothing in the back then CIAU final for university hockey. And then he played minor pro, so he got his athleticism from his dad and uh, his mother. Yeah, you know what? He, he's been um, not a, a surprise necessarily because he had the 10 goals and the 17 points in 57 games and limited uh, sample with uh, San Jose a season ago, but comes in on the PTO and then scores in, in game one um, and now does feel like a, a mainstay of this team, killing penalties and, and all that speed. Like, what, what have you made of, yeah, obviously watching from afar, but, but somebody you're emotionally invested in, his, his first foray into, uh, into Leafdom? Well, I, um, I, when it happened in the summer when, when San Jose didn't qualify, I said it was going to be the best thing that happened to them. Um, their organization is just a travesty right now, so um, you don't necessarily want to be there, even as a young player, because you want to get your feet wet in the league, and it's hard. Like The one thing covering the NHL for 22 years, I have utmost respect for how hard it is to be in the NHL. Um, I've never, you know, if, if I have one pet peeve, it's when I, oh, this guy's terrible. I'm like, you're not terrible when you're in the NHL. You might have made a terrible play, but you're not a terrible player. There's two different things. And, um, you know, I, I looked at a lot of teams. It's my job. And him and I had some conversations and I had a list of teams that I thought would give him an opportunity. Cause you want to go somewhere where you can play. And, you know, he told me the conversations that he had with Sheldon Keefe uh, in the summertime. And that was, that was really a difference maker. He had a coach who talked to him for a half an hour in the summer and kind of outlined exactly what he thought he would use him in as a role. And it helped that Shane Doan was a fan because he had picked them to make uh, Team Canada at the World Championships a few years ago. And, you know, I don't care who you are. You need someone who believes in you. And, you know, Sheldon keeps everything he said in the conversation. He said, hey, if you play well, this is the role you'll get. And he's lived up to that. And so, you know, and every player, you know, he'd be the first to tell you he'd love to play more, of course. Mm-hmm. I don't know any player who wouldn't. But he has a specific role, right? He's on the fourth line, and right now he's killing penalties. And you can stay in the game that way as a fourth liner. It's really hard if if you're on a fourth line, you don't get to kill penalties. So on any team, I don't care what team you're on, unless you're like a Daniel Sprong, who's a rare fourth liner who gets power play time. That doesn't happen very often. So um, you know what? It's been good. I think uh, he loves he loves being in a Canadian market where hockey matters. That's the one thing for him. Like uh, he was joking with me when when he moved to his found his condo place. Right, and he's kind of like, well, you know, hey, I'm Noah Gregor, I'm on a PTO, and this was when he came in, he just signed, and all of a sudden the guy, hey, here he played for the Leafs, and he was super nice <laughs> to him, and it's, uh, 
uh, and like genuinely nice to him, not uh, not jock sniffing nice. And you know what? That's really, you know it's nice to be in a in a market that uh, that fans care about it. And so um, when, when you're when you're a bottom six guy, like let's be honest, like there's not a lot of pressure on him compared to Matthews and Marner and stuff like that. So um, you know there there is a benefit sometimes to to being lower in the uh, in the roster. There's also the uh, um, the challenges of it when you don't get a lot of ice time and then it's hard to produce. So there's, there's a balance there for sure, but uh, you know, he's enjoying it. Yeah, there, there definitely is. And you know, I mean, just to kind of hammer home the point, like when you have one skill that, that plays and not to say it's just the one thing, but it's like, when you got speed like that, it, it just makes you pop uh, on, on any given night. And especially, you know, again, like we think of this Leafs team or, you know, we don't, but sometimes the national conversation around the Leafs team is one way. And it's not necessarily the actual reality of the situation. Like, you know, this isn't a team with burners up and down the lineup. So I know they lost Lafferty at the beginning of the season, and that was kind of a concern for me. And Gregor's kind of filled in the role that, quite frankly, he would have had uh, admirably there. Uh, I do want to talk to you about the team you do cover uh, on a day-to-day basis. You talk about the pressures of a, of a Canadian market. I just want to talk to you about the feel in Edmonton now versus, I don't know, two weeks, three weeks ago, however far back you want to go. Uh, I can I imagine it feels like it's just been kind of one big exhale in the city, or are we not quite there yet? Well, I think the victory last night to Vegas, um, you know, has fans breathing again. I, uh, it's there is benefits when you're when you're in the media that you're not emotionally uh, invested. Um, you know, as I say that, it's it's fun for me that my nephew's in league because when when he was playing on San Jose, when they come to Edmonton, I sit I sit in the crowd and I'm just a fan, right? It's really the only time I'm ever a fan. Like I, and he's luckily scored games in Edmonton, so I can cheer. But um, you know. I haven't cheered in the press box. You learned that a long time ago. And so when you can watch the game without emotion, you can, you can kind of maybe keep your head level. It's, it's good or bad. Obviously when you're in the playoffs, it sucks because you're not emotionally invested like the fans. That's the most fun time of year. But you know, I, I thought the, the owners have a lot of talent they, and they're, they weren't playing close to their talent for the long to start the season. And the one consistent that this team has had in their DNA for the last four years and sadly, when it, when it shows up, it shows up for stretches. It doesn't show up for one game. And they have to figure it out or they're never going to win a cup if they can't eliminate this from their DNA, which is where they're Santa Claus. And they gift goals to the opposition way too easily. If you go look at those first 12, 13 games, how many goals they literally just gave to the other team. Right? Edmonton was actually second in the NHL in offensive possession time for the opposition. So the opposition was in the offensive zone the second fewest time. And they'd given up the second most goals because it was one and done. They'd be like, oh, here's a turnover giveaway. It's a three-on-one goal, five seconds in the offensive zone. And that happened way too often. And so they've eliminated the glaring individual mistake again, which they've done the last few years. They've had a stretch of 15 to 20 games for four years in a row, guys, where they gave up between 3.6 and four goals a game. You don't win that way. It's impossible. And, uh, and then all of a sudden, they, they figure it out. Like last year in the last 35 games, they were seventh in the NHL in goals against. And the year before, they had a stretch of 40 games where they were eighth. So they can do it, but it's a commitment from the team. It's not really system. It's not necessarily coaching. And, you know, Jay Woodcroft kind of paid the price uh, for his team's inability to, to want to make the right play. But now they're making the right play. Like that game I know last night went to overtime. But for the first 54 minutes, Vegas really had nothing. Edmonton weighed one communication mistake off a face-off. But other than that, Vegas didn't generate much. And the third goal was more unlucky is you have two players in the right position, and both of them put their stick in the lane to deflect the puck, but it deflects off of each other's stick 
into the slot, and it's a wide-open shot for Vegas for Ben Hutton. And you, so you can't really blame your players. That wasn't a gift, right? That's just an unlucky break. So, you know, they get it in, in, in a shootout. And, you know, look at the West standings, guys. Like, let's be honest, it's a turtle race right now. That's mm-hmm. the benefit for Edmonton. You had so many other teams playing like junk that they're six points out of a playoff spot. Actually, no, now they're four points out of a playoff spot with a game in hand. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're pretty lucky that the, the, the rest of the West sucked at the same time that they did. Yeah, and they now have one more regulation win than the Toronto Maple Leafs have. Uh, the Leafs also have a game in hand, but yeah, no, it's it's uh, it's it's remarkable how quickly things can change, and yeah, so much of it is Connor McDavid with the 12 points in his last three games, and you know, getting by with, again, no no goalie going to dig them out of this. It doesn't feel like Stuart Skinner allows the, the four goals on uh, whatever, uh, 27 shots, and, and the, the save percentage is like, not just below league average, it's the worst in the National Hockey League at 876, which is not something that you can overcome. I, I don't care how much of that is self-inflicted and, and high danger chances. Um, can you fix the goaltending issue that the Oilers have in season, or is this just something that they're going to have to cross their fingers and hope that takes care of itself, that Stuart Skinner turns into the best version of himself? Yeah, I think they still believe that Skinner can, well, I think he's capable of more of, of the save percentage for sure. And his save percentage, they'll almost, what they have to do is, and what Skinner has to do if I was in their room, is I would just reset the save percentage from game 20 and start from there. Because otherwise, it's going to look terrible all year. Like, to get to 900 now, he'd have to have like a 930, you know what I mean, for, for, <laughs> for a long stretch. So that's not realistic. Um, their big challenge is, you can't trade Jack Campbell. Everybody said, well, just add a first-rounder. Nobody's taking Jack Campbell for a first-rounder. He's owed right now $17 million in cash. 17 So which owner, which GM is going to convince his owner, hey, we're going to get a first-rounder, which is probably going to be a late first-rounder. Oh, yeah, what do we get in return? Ah, oh, goalie's in the American League, and he's owed $17 million. Pardon? Right? Like, think about that conversation. <laughs> Who in their right mind is going to try to pitch that to their GM? So – you're, you'd have to give up at least two first rounders, and and to do what? You get rid of them, and who are you getting? Like a, like Montembeau in Montreal? Are you serious? Yeah. What the hell are you getting for? Like the the, the trade, the, 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 they don't make any sense. Like Jake Allen maybe makes sense. Now Mackenzie Blackwood, that's the one that would make sense to me, right? Um, that's the one that would make sense because his his cap hit is is two point three mil, so you know you can live with that. But I think what happens with Jack Campbell is. You're going to keep him in the minors unless he has, like, this sudden resurgence, and I'm not betting on it. And he stays there. You buy him out in the summer, and you have to find a backup probably sometime in January, I think, is when they're going to look to find a backup. Uh, Their schedule right now, Skinner can play tomorrow against Winnipeg. Then they have five days off. Then they're on a six-game homestand. They play every second day. Uh, you can play your backup Pickard for one of those games, right? And then they have another back-to-back before Christmas. You can play Pickard there against maybe like the Islanders who can't score and hope for the best. And then, and then you got to get a backup, right? So that's, that's really their only realistic options right now. I think any talk of trading Jack Campbell, and unless there's some GM out there who, can, who believes that a first-rounder and a third-rounder is worth that much, I don't see it happening. Yeah, feels feels like an impossible sell to to ownership, and yeah, it's like first round picks are valuable. I don't think they're seventeen million dollars uh, in value. Maybe if <laughs> first, maybe first overall pick, uh, we're yes. having a very very different uh, conversation. But I don't think anybody's uh, doing that, and I don't think the Oilers will have their hands on that to to trade away anytime soon. You know, when I look at this Oilers team, I don't want to overstate the point I'm about to make. The Oilers are great and have been great in the past. 
because of the talent they have. But when I do a little comparing and contrasting with this Leafs team versus the Oilers team, one of the things that jumps out to me is that unlike the Leafs, the Oilers do have a star who, and again, I mean this as a compliment, is a jerk. Is just a mean guy in Leon Dreisaitl. Like, he's not happy. He's ornery. He's always angry at a question or two. Seems to just be in a bad mood one day a week. And I think that's such a massive ingredient for a core to have. How much of what makes the Oilers special is, and again, I don't want to overstate it. Like, Leon Dreisaitl, if he was the nicest man in the world and was a saint, would be still an incredible player and would be part of the reason that the Oilers are great. But how much of it is that he just has that... Bit of an attitude. And again, I mean it as a compliment because I wish a guy in Toronto had it. I call him the grumpy German. So um, <laughs> he, he uh, you know, I, I'll be honest, though, like at times I'm like, stop. Like he, he gets a little bit pissy. And I know I say that as a joke because of a term that Jim Matthews. <laughs> yeah, is. yeah. But there, there are times when dry settle gets a little, you know, like they went in Washington. It's like, oh, no one outside. You know, they question that we don't care. I'm like, can you show me one article that anybody said the orders don't care? No one's ever said that. So don't, you know, there's days where it gets a little tad, you know, the, the woe was me. Um, and some other fans don't like the body language where, you know, like something bad happens on the ice. I do like that he'll slash guys. Is that, it's probably what you're talking, right? He'll give yeah. a cross check back in here and there. He'll stand up for himself. So, you know, that helps. Uh, they also have Kane and Hyman, right? Like that's, that's to me is the, the, the two best signings for the orders have been Kane and Hyman, mm-hmm. right? Like Hyman is, Hyman's a guy who's around the crease and you need a guy like that, yeah. right? Guys, oh, yeah. and he's got, he can kill penalties. He's a good enough. He's a good skater, but he's relentless. And then Evander Kane, like Evander Kane, is much more of the on ice jerk, right? Like he's so cocky and arrogant, and I don't mean that in a bad way. But on the ice, like Evander Kane, you know what? Hey, many years ago he fought Reeves, which he probably shouldn't, but he's like, nah, I'm not scared of Reeves, and I believe he isn't, right? He's probably not smart to do it, but he did it, you know. And he he gives them some swagger. Nurse plays a lot of minutes. And, you know, he's big and strong and physical. And actually, since Paul Coffey came, like, Darnell Nurse has always been pretty good. I think um, he gets a bad rap because he'll make an odd glaring mistake. And then you forget. And then people don't see, like, the hundred really good plays he makes that are subtle. But, you know, for five years, Darnell Nurse has the six most even strength goals amongst defensemen. He's ninth in points, right? He's, he's eighth in, play, in, in minutes played. And he's, like, fifth in games played. Like, he's reliable, right? He's on the ice. So, and he's big and mean, and so that helps. But... Drysaddle is a jerk, at least. You know, if somebody gives it to him on the ice, he'll give it right back. And I do think that that's eventually, like, I think Willie Nylander's the one guy amongst their three that, that does it more. Matthews is big and strong enough that he could easily do it, right? Mm-hmm. I don't, like, and I'm not, I don't expect these guys to fight. Like, Drysaddle's never fighting anyone. But every now and then, a well placed stick, right? You stand up for yourself. Like Domi going out with Reinhardt, he was kind of saying, okay, you know what? Uh, I'm sick of you. But Bennett was looking for everybody. He's like, okay, I'll fight the guy, right? But now he's not a superstar, but you need guys like that on your team. And I believe you need it in your top six. This whole adage of, well, if we have team toughness, I'm like, if your team toughness is all your fourth line guys who don't play a lot, guess what? That's not going to help you. They can't Bingo. be team tough from the bench in 10 minutes. You need guys on your, you need somebody on your blue line who's a jerk. Right, because at least your sixth parent, your sixth defenseman is playing what fourteen minutes a night, right? Yep. Maybe fifteen, right? Like Vinny DeHarnay in Edmonton, he's six foot seven, he's a human crane out there, and he'll fight guys. <laughs> so you know, so that helps a lot, mm-hmm. right? And I think so. Edmonton has that mix finally because of Kane and Hyman. Before Kane and Hyman came here, they didn't have it. I thought it was a big problem, and so it helps the dry saddle can can whack guys and not be afraid he's going to get jumped because if he is, well, can't, and even Hyman, you know, Hyman fought a few times. So, you know, they have that there for sure. I think they need a, they need an energy guy with some size. 
probably on their on their on their bottom a little bit more. Right? Adam Ernie's actually coming and being physical. You know, he's not gonna score very much, but um he's being physical at least. So, you know, Edmonton and Toronto, like I look at Toronto, I think Toronto's biggest need and it might come in the the benefit of the LTIR for John Klingberg is they need a, they need another defenseman. And this I'm sure Toronto fans are screaming at the radio, we know, we know, because it's happened for years, right? Like that's what Toronto misses. I think like Toronto's team is good. Like they they've had down for lots of years. They got maybe a mental block in the playoffs, and finally getting a win probably helps them. But to me, look at the teams who win. Look at Vegas's blue line. Look at St. Louis's blue line. Look at Tampa Bay's blue line. Like Colorado, a little exception. But even then, if you go look at their blue line when they won, what did they add? They added size and Josh Manson yeah, and Jack huge. Johnson to fill out. And Kale McCarr is a freak, so you can't really compare. But <laughs> they had big guys, Eric Johnson, Jack Johnson, Manson. Those three were huge, right? You need some of that on your back end. And, you know, Toronto, uh, Treleman, uh, I would think him and Shane Doan are well aware of it. And any addition that Toronto makes, and I know people will talk about, like, oh, third line, Domi's got to score a goal. No offense, shut up. The guy's got assists. That's not what they need. They need a defender. Mm-hmm. And Edmonton was in the same boat until he got Ekholm. He helped. Yep, uh, and depth scoring sure helps, uh, like getting a regulation goal like they did from Noah Gregor and the shootout winner as well. Also, you know, eating a stick at the end of, of regulation, buying the, the Leafs a, a four-minute power play. It was did the it Gregor all. game. It, it really was. What a what a proud day in the Gregor uh, household. Uh, Jason, I appreciate you taking the time today. Thanks. Hey, no problem, guys. I appreciate it. There's Jason Gregor, host of the Jason Gregor Show on Sports 1440 in Edmonton, co-host of the DFO Rundown podcast and uncle to Noah Gregor. Just, the Leafs just got to make their Jake Muzzin trade again. It's not that hard. Just do that. <laughs> It is kind of the exact trade they're calling out for, right? Like, they got $4 million. That's exactly the amount of money Jake Muzzin made. Like, it's very funny that if you could just, like, hop hop in the time machine and grab that exact guy and put him on the blue line right now. Or, or... Jake Muzzin, no, like, just okay. remained healthy and right. on this team right now. And then you wouldn't have signed John Klingberg, and here we are. Mm-hmm. Speaking of signings, uh, shout out to producer Jeff Asparty, who tweeted this to us uh, during the break. This is another Vladdy Guerrero. It's going to be in Major League Baseball, potentially. Uh, according to Mike Mayer on Twitter, sources... It's called X. Sorry. On X. Sources, Mets are expected to sign Vladdy Miguel Carrero during the 2024 IFA period that begins on January 15th. Vladdy, spelled with an I, mm-hmm. V-L-A-D-I, is the son of Vladimir Guerrero, brother of Vladimir Guerrero Jr. So, Vladimir Guerrero Sr. has a Vladimir Guerrero Jr., but also a Vladdy who is, I, I guess, like, the name is just Vladdy. It's not shortened from Vladimir. I, I I, mean, you'd have to. I don't think, I could be wrong, I don't think you could just keep naming all your kids the exact same thing. I mean, I guess you could do whatever you want. Uh, but honestly, good for him. I, I would never have the confidence in my life to have one Brent Jr., <laughs> let alone several. So good for him. I mean... It's a choice. That is, it is a choice. He, he appears to be a left-handed hitter, and guess what? He looks a lot like Vlad Jr. So, I mean... Any smoke with the Mets? <laughs> what? That they're well, interested not, like, in the Guerrero no, yeah, family? And yeah. that we've we've heard this... Is that something? You know what? It's not even a... I guess it. it's um, a trade rumor in that 
Ken Rosenthal yesterday mm -hmm. saying that people are sniffing around Vladimir Guerrero Jr. Yes. as far as a potential a trade candidate. We haven't heard direct no. link no, no, like no, no, we no. have Bo Bichette to the Chicago Cubs this between Vladdy and the Mets. But yeah, I mean, if they're interested in the Guerrero family, why wouldn't they be interested in a Pete Alonso for Vlad Jr. trade? Again, like I said, this is not a Mets team that's looking to win in 2024. Mm -hmm. So naturally, they would take the younger guy with the longer runway of team control and the guy that you'd feel, honestly, a little more comfortable extending. Mm -hmm. Because as much as I'm in favor of a Vlad Jr. for Pete Alonso trade, it's a one-year deal. I'm not interested in getting into the the signing waters of, of, of a guy who's 30 years old who's a hulking, power-hitting first baseman. But yeah, maybe. Hey, they're interested in the Guerrero family. So should everybody. They, they produce pretty good baseball players. Anyways, uh, that was Fan Morning Show. Ben Ennis, Brent Gunning. We'll be back tomorrow. Sports 5, 590 The Fan. Good, good morning. morning.